Sean. Panera Bread. Shut up the podcast. Say it, Sean. Sean! <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hold on, wait. Who did this music? I, Who do you think? Yeah. Darren? Yeah. yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Celluloid, Celluloid Breakdown. I'm Joey Bonnier, and next to me is Sean Fall. Sean Fall. Across from him is actually a guest, Eric Wheeler. Wait a minute. This is Burnett's Erasure. Excuse me? How so? Sean Fall? It's kind of how it's There's another been. part of your name. I don't think bro. I've ever introduced myself as Fall Burnett's on this show. This, or still, any of these shows. It's still Burnett's Erasure. Yeah, mostly. Now, you guys have all seen the classic TV series, Batman 1966. I'm going to cut Jesus. this off right now. Anyways. So it, has a, hold on, it has a great moment in the beginning. So bat, it's an animated opening. Batman and Robin are whomping ass. They literally shake hands turn to the camera, and Robin fades away as the title Batman comes up. <laughs> and every time I see this, I turn to my girlfriend and I say, this is Robin Erasure. Mm. And this is what you're doing to yourself right now. I'm, I'm cutting off the part that I don't something. Yeah. Yeah. Pieces, pieces, pieces of you, <sighs> Ashley Simpson. Wow. So in this podcast, we analyze <laughs> movies. We don't analyze Sean's motivations or names. We don't care about that stuff. No, most people don't care about Sean. Okay. So we watch The Bank The dick. Roots of Self-Hatred. Eric? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can it? Wow. Can we, it? We watched- I'll leave right now. We watched The Bank Dick. I don't need to be here. Because Eric- <laughs> You made us watch it. <laughs> made us watch it. And- well, uh, It's 71 minutes. <laughs> I think it was actually, uh, we all enjoyed ourselves. Let, let's, I love this Let's movie. talk about uh, our first impressions. Sean mm-hmm. Fall, what'd you think? Um, wow. Um, I've never seen a W.C. Fields movie before. This is my first introduction to him and this movie. Um, my first introduction, you dumb idiot. Yeah, yeah. I'm uncultured uh, in my W.C. Fields-ing. I, wow. No, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Um, it was, it was a, it was like a, uh, a Three Stooges movie that, did, that didn't have the charm or something. Like there's an element that's missing that is supposed to be in these movies that just doesn't exist. So like when he hits someone over the head, you cringe and you feel bad. It's not like a laugh like it is in the Stooges or Marks or something. Is it because, oh, actually. Sean we'll is describing we'll why this later. movie is good. <laughs> okay. So Eric, why did you like this movie? What's your oh, first impression? So funny. Well, so I realized watching this that W.C. Fields, the appeal of him to me is he's sort of like a, a Bobby Hill gone to seed. <laughs> okay. So he's sort of like if Bobby Hill grew up to be an alcoholic, loser, <laughs> abusive father, he'd be W.C. Fields because kind he's of. everything an American man is, a true American, cowardly, <laughs> easily frightened, alcoholic, despises his family. Um, there's a, a running gag about him following the bartender around town, mm-hmm. literally like a dog chasing a car or something. Yeah. Uh, very short sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, his humor is funny because, so he was the screenwriter, you know, he wrote, wrote this under a pseudonym. He's a screenwriter of this. He's obviously a literate man. And yet his character, the whole appeal of it is that he's sort of subverbal Yeah, where right. he's, there are these punchlines but it's sort of like 
the anti-punchline where the line will be like, yes, or okay. But the context and the cadence of how he says it is very yeah. funny where people are basically pushing him around. They're like, drive, you idiot. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, it's like a Mr. Magoo-ish, a sort of like Forrest Gumpy, like obliviousness that like. But it's also got like that frightened rabbit, like Cosmo yeah. Kramer thing where he's just scared of yeah, the world. Totally. Right. And is constantly trying to retreat into fantasy or alcoholism <laughs> or violence. Totally. Um, and I forgot Wikipedia has a really good description about how, I forget what they call his children, but it's like it has his typical assortment of like, like he's a hempecked husband and he has a shrewish wife and he yeah. has like malevolent children or something. Right. Wh- whatever the description is, is very accurate. I mean, the first scene is his little daughter throwing something at him. He goes outside and wants to throw a giant potted plant at her <laughs> and is going to, but yeah. his other daughter prevents him. Yeah. I kind of love and hate that word henpecked. You know, it's, oh, it's, it's an awful word. This is the Wikipedia description. I know it's an awful word, but it is very accurate in this sense, I suppose. Uh, but, but he, it doesn't, I don't think he's presenting it in some sort of weird MRA MGTOW, like <laughs> no, men are no. oppressed. He's like, I am a stupid loser. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. foil. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think the that, joke's on him. Yeah. Which is strange, though, because Sean's right. A lot of the uh, physical comedy is, is obviously he bumps into shit and falls over his <laughs> yeah. so but, but he is hitting a lot of other people, too. Like, yeah. you know, so he, I mean, he is all three studios combined. You know, he's Mo hitting other people and he's, you know, Curly getting hit. But I will say, I did enjoy this movie, actually. I, I didn't think it was the best, you know, of the three Stooges slapsticky style, mm. but I did enjoy it. I have seen this before. My dad showed this to me before when I was much younger. So I did remember a few things. And it's funny because I do remember some lines that my dad would re- would say. He would say that the deadliest disease is the ogomagogal. Because <laughs> he just loved the sound of it, you know, mm. even though it is slightly racist, honestly. Uh, it is. It seems suspect. It's racist. Let's sure. just be honest. Uh, but who cares? It's it, In this sense, it's really not using it for that. They're using it because it sounds funny. But who so. cares? Neoliberal. I kind of care. <laughs> but anyways, um, I did enjoy it. I, I think W.C. Fields is kind of charming, even though obviously he's a child abuser and a <laughs> psychopath. And I think he is just, again, this is a movie, so it's not real, but he's speaking to the darkness in all American men's hearts. Yeah, he's the Homer Simpson. They want to strangle children. They want (laughs) to drink alone Mm -hmm. with shimp. Okay. (laughs) They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to, the guy's like, oh, here's your reward, a job. And he's like, oh, great, a job. I'd rather you just take my house away from me. (laughs) I don't want to go to work. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know that, like, it is. He's just, he's so, the character is so remarkably unambitious. It is, but it's like in such an un- I don't know if it's unassuming or uncharismatic way. Like you, it's mostly when you see this type of character, you either feel sorry for them or you identify with them, or there's like some in to like let you in there as an audience member for this. Like you are more than happy to see this guy fail. And like, well, I think what's funny is that all these extraordinary things keep happening to him, mm -hmm. but he doesn't really want any of it. Yeah. Like they, he runs into a, a producer in the bar and starts directing a movie and yeah. sells a script and then just wa- literally walks off the set. Yeah. And then he foils a bank robbery and gets offered a job he doesn't want. What he wants to do is just drink his life away mm-hmm. in a bar, right. but people keep trying to give him stuff. Totally. Well, let's jump into the story then. Uh, so we do have uh, this, uh, uh, well, we have a, a gentleman that is, I guess you could consider a... Uh, 
con man of some sort. Um, he, or I guess a lowbrow con man. He's kind of, uh, first off, not in, uh, with his, uh, family there. And, uh, Joey, you're concerning me there. Well, you're, I was just looking at the recording. It looks like there was a hole in the recording. That's all. Oh, I'm assuming that'll be filled in just, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so yes, we have Mr. W.C. Fields, who is a, a bumbler, a child abuser, a, um, a horrible family man. Uh, his wife's- er, Hold on, hold on a minute. I'd just like to say mm -hmm. that in the great Trump tradition, he punches back. A child punches him, he punches back. <laughs> I see. Okay? He's not abusing. He's fighting back. It's the kid who's the aggressor. Yeah. Right. He's standing up for himself. Totally. Uh, so uh, it's his, is it the mother-in-law that is bitching about his smoking? and uh, They're all complaining about him. Yeah, yeah. They so all despise him. They, yeah, it's fr from, uh, from the first scene, smoking. it is very apparent that his family and is they not should. a fan. Yeah. So, their, their house is about to be uh, taken away from them. Well, that doesn't get revealed until much later in the film, I thought. Anyway. But uh, so he, uh, the family is not uh, very impressed with the fatherly figure. Uh, he goes out, out to whatever it is he does in the town, which is basically drinking. go drinking. Uh, on the way, he has to bother a, uh, a butler that is trying to repair a car, and he bumbles his way around it, trying to act like he knows what he's talking about and just makes things worse. So we establish this character that like kind of seems like he wants to be seen as someone that helps, but doesn't basically makes things worse, essentially. Uh, so he's at his bar. Uh, Shemp walks in, and Shemp is all fucking... Straight man, like there's no. He's the bartender. He's yeah. The, yeah, but there's no like comedic element that comes from Shemp. Well, he does like, poison a character later on. But there's no like, uh, yeah. There's literally nothing comedic about Shemp. He is literally the straight man in this movie. Just an actor, Sean. <laughs> I suppose. Um, but in uh, when he's uh, when W. C. Field is in the bar, he gets cornered by some other con man that is trying to sell beefsteak mine shares. Um, he talks his daughter's fiance or upcoming fiance into uh, buying a bunch of. I mean, yeah, again, uh, these are all these are all con men trying to con each other. Exactly, the con men's uh, trying to con W. C. Fields. The the young man is trying to con his daughter into marrying him. Mm -hmm. You know, this is America, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of people with these yep. get rich quick schemes. That's capitalism. Yep. Yeah. So uh, he convinces the, uh, the son-in-law or the future son-in-law to embezzle money from the bank to invest in this, uh, this beefsteak mine scam. Then all of a sudden, uh Oh, the inspector shows up. We got to distract the inspector. So he takes him around town, tries to get bank him drunk. Inspector. Yeah, what other kind of inspector would there be? Female body inspector. Oh. Oh, yeah, that's definitely possible. So he takes him to the bar. He tries to get him drunk, and then he has to have uh, Shemp spike his, his drink with some a fucking Cosby's, uh, the guy. And, Didn't uh, really knock him out. It just made him kind of nauseous and sick. Yeah, and basically just weird. made him like extra drunk off of one drink, essentially. Yeah. And he takes him back to the hotel. Then there was this whole thing about like, not having the drunk dude in public in the hotel, which I wasn't quite sure like what was going on there. It feels like this movie is still in prohibition or something. No, like, Sean just didn't grow up in a small town. He doesn't get it. He just didn't want to be seen outside. He, he's a family man. You don't understand what reputation means in a town of 4,000 people, Sean. I suppose. No, you don't suppose. That's mm. the problem. Eric, how big was the town you grew up in? Well, the town was like 3,000 people. That was my high school. Yeah. Yeah. 
to tell us what it, what was you it like? Have, look, basically every every establishment has to be a family establishment or else you don't have a business. <laughs> so if the old biddies in your town are starting a gossip campaign against your business, you're mm. done for. You're toast. Just like Twitter. No, this is like real life. Mm. So as far as the story, mm-hmm. um, it seemed pretty straightforward to me. And, and you know, a bumbling guy going through, it's very farcical, very typical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did you did you think that it, uh, I don't know, it was a good little cute story? I liked it. I thought it was it was pretty creative in the I way they kind of added the one thing film real, within a film. And the, I don't know if you guys- uh, Yeah, just cut me off. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just going to cut him off real quick. Please. Did you see the trivia about Stanley Kubrick? Yeah, his eighth favorite movie. Yeah. Eighth favorite movie. <laughs> Which really makes sense if you've seen the Kubrick movies. It's that same sort of misanthropic worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, yeah, we missed, or I missed the uh, the whole section where he becomes a director for some reason <laughs> and just kind of walks off set in the middle of it because he gets bored at some point. Um, well, no, I think he's chasing alcohol, isn't he? Yeah, basically. But I, I you know, he, it's kind of all the same thing. Yeah, he's really just kind of going with the flow. Yeah. It's funny because he does have some wacky story that he's pitching these people on some like sports fairy tale right yes (laughs) from the walk from the bar to the set which is right outside the bar he has come up with an entire new take on whatever this script was because the director that was there previously was too much of a drunkard is more drunk than him (laughs) yeah that's impressive he's the responsible drunk to me the most the thing about that scene is like whatever it is the producer or whoever that guy that walks into the bar the he's going to look for another director because his director is too drunk so he goes to the bar and finds another director you know the bars where people used to go to dry out sean Mm, that makes sense well, either way, we have uh, Mr. Inspector uh, powering through his poisoning. And, Hold on, uh, let's talk about Mr. Inspector's name. Mm-hmm. Jay Pinkerton Snoopington. <laughs> Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. Jay Pinkerton Snoopington. Mm-hmm. Snoopy. Yep. Just, I'm sorry, the names are wonderful in this movie. There's mm-hmm. some other ones that are really this was they're, the, uh, great. They're this, on the nose. This was the uh, cinematic introduction of the Snoopy character. Um, <laughs> so his, oh yeah, his fiance, I mean his was. Uh, his daughter's fiance, oh, yeah, right. Og Ogleby. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. This is pure Americana. And W.C. Mm. Field's name, Egbert Suzanne. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's a grave over the E. Yeah, what is it? A, yeah, a downward accent on the E. Yeah, not sou- souse. What, what is souse? Drunk. Just drunk? Yeah. Just a pun. No. Oh, I, I get it now. Yeah. It all makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's so, like uh, he's kind of like Edgar G. Robinson crossed with Bobby Hill. <laughs> ah, Edward. Did I say Edgar? Edgar. Oh, Edward. Yeah. You're Edward, right. right. Same difference. Edwardian G. Robinson. <laughs> Nettered Stark. So yeah, Mr. Pinkerton uh, uh, powers through his poisoning and shows up at the bank to do his inspection anyways. Uh, hijinks ensue. Uh, then we find out that the beefsteak mine stock is actually paying off. And the original con man shows up to try and buy back the stocks. This leads to the best gag mm-hmm. in the picture. Yeah, it yep. really is. Uh, what, uh, what is Mr. Sauce? Uh, Suze. Uh is uh, uh, looking at the newspaper and sees- Does his like Kramer double take? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the bulging eyes in the stock is doing well. So he runs right back in the room and punches the guy <laughs> through a fucking window. The funniest 
worst punch I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. <laughs> it's one punch. It barely lands, and he flies yeah. through the window, <laughs> yeah. and never to be seen again. It's yeah. like his fist is pulling his body through the room. Yeah, but it's better than most like modern punches I see. You know, especially like those you know pull by the wire ones where they go like flying across the room. That well, is, <laughs> I think the reason it's so funny is because his physical comedy is so. Half-hearted oh, yeah, yeah. and slow yeah. and unathletic. Yeah. And this shot is so fast. Yes. And the camera yeah. whips across the totally. room and the guy flies out the window and you're just like, what? <laughs> it's shocking how fast he Suze moves. And yeah. like you said, then the character, that's literally his exit. You never see him again. Totally. He punches him. It's like Bane at the end of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> He it's punches him like, off the screen. It's like a Mortal Kombat fatality. <laughs> he just punches him off the film. <laughs> it's awesome. I love stuff like that. Basically, the whole movie, I feel like the the really subdued physical comedy was all just a long setup for this one incredibly <laughs> funny joke. Yeah, great. that is a very long setup. And then the uh, the car chase, I thought, was also right. very well done. I love the car chase. I thought there was a lot of good gags in the car chase <laughs> with it falling apart and the... the the, the same rear projection over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. You know, clean that windshield. He picks it up and hands yeah. it to him. You clean it. I'm driving. Yeah. That was a decent guy. <laughs> the, uh, the motorcycle. So you have the thing where the guys are digging a ditch or whatever, mm. and the cars drive over him twice. And then the motorcycle goes through there and they pop up like, you know, uh, groundhogs or whatever. Yeah. Hedgehog. It was a cute. Thing. I was going to say hedgehogs, but no, neither are right. Better? No, groundhog is correct. Is it? No, the groundhog groundhog's the fat the guy that sees the shadow. I think you're thinking of like uh, a hedgehog doesn't do that. No, the hedgehog. I'm I'm wrong too, but it's we're both wrong. Gopher. There we go. Gophers. Gopher. Yeah. 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 I think you're trying to think Caddyshack. If I uh, kill all the gophers, they're gonna lock me up and throw away the key. I'm all right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, funnily enough, everyone is all right at the end of this movie. Everyone is rich and everything is great. And, well, not the robber. Yeah, the robbers. Well, in jail. Uh, no one cares about the robber. Like. That's a D story at best. Also, I want to point out that Og, what's his name? Ogberg? Og Ogleby. Og Ogleby. It was giving me really strong Randy Quaid vibes. Mm. Ah, jeez. I thought he was really good. The I actor? liked yeah. yeah. He did some good physical comedy. His feints were really good when he rolled his eyes back <laughs> yes. into his head. Ah, me, I thought he was decent. Every time Snoopy talked, I just heard Jeffrey Tambor. His voice is like almost okay. exactly the same. It was very weird. So, what do you think of W.C. Fields in general? Did you do you like him? How about you? Eric? You're asking me. Yeah, Eric. I love W.C. Fields. Really, mm. I think he's one of the great comedians of that era. Do you watch others other other uh -huh. movies? Of oh yeah. Would you this say is, this is? Yeah. What is this? This break? is my favorite of his. Mm. So, if you compare him to someone like you know Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, like yeah. he's not at the same cinematic level, mm -hmm. but I think his style of comedy is. Other than maybe Buster Keaton, where it's just pure physical comedy mm -hmm. that never really goes out of style, I feel like his style of comedy is not that different from like what's on TV now. Yeah, no, intellectually, I agree. Like on paper, I love. I think w. it's a C. very Fields. contemporary Watch, style. Yeah, exactly. But watching it, I it's there's, there's just something missing. It's a lower in his energy. Oh, it's like way under low. It is like uh, negative energy performance. Well, I think I think he's perfect. I think the movie around him could could stand to be a little more inner. No, I'm Aaron Jack's <sighs> right word. A little more lively. If I could 
if there was good enough sound to understand everything that was being said. Well, that's I think, just a 1940s well, comedy. But, but to me, that's like the real big missing element here. Because like, if you want to us to identify with that character and be in his world, we really have to be the ones like hearing those little side jokes. You know, it kind of has to be like more to the audience than it is to like, I, I guess, the people in that world. I don't know. That it just seems like it's more like a. I don't know. Uh, I I understand what you're saying, but I sort of it's like, like Ferris Bueller-y, like sort of breaking. I don't know. The Maybe this wall. is just like the cult appeal thing, but mm-hmm. the sort of like the mumbly aspect of it, where you know you're missing stuff, makes you feel special when you do catch it, and you feel like you're sort of in this special W.C. Fields club where he's popular, but he's not like yeah, yeah. he's not like Harold Lloyd or Charlie Chaplin or something. Like yeah. this is a character and an actor who's not going to appeal to everyone. Uh, there's a scene where he strangles a young boy in the bank. <laughs> I think he is very broad, though. He is very, reminds me of what's his name from All in the Family. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, Carol O'Connor. There's Ken, another yeah. character that people, Archie Bunker is. Yeah, a, but Peter a Griffin is popular. Character. You know, Homer Simpson is popular. These those characters are, those are, are literally cartoon characters, though. It's true. It's true. This, this guy is uh, a he, little more hateful. But they didn't. Yeah. He, but he was a cartoon with his Homer sound effects. Homer was more, more, more so in the first seasons. Totally, and the well, the writers said that their their trick, the reason, like something they kept in mind, was they were like, we can make Homer do whatever we want, no matter how awful he gets. Mm-hmm. The audience will love him because Marge loves him. Mm-hmm. So that relationship has to remain solid, and he can't be like too mean to her without making up for it. Because if he alienates her, then the audience can't forgive him. So he has to have, Homer Simpson has to have some sort of redeeming quality. Because he is an imperfect, but a caring husband. Mm -hmm. Whereas W.C. Fields just hates everyone. He doesn't care about his wife. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Because I think that is like, what is missing in this movie is like- Humanity. uh, Yeah, anyone caring about W.C. Fields before he becomes rich. It's a, I think it's a truly despairing view of humanity. Without a doubt. Which is what I I find so- funny about it i suppose it's like, like the well the term i think the 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 analytical term would be like grotesque mm-hmm. like a grotesquerie yeah which is like the kubrick like clockwork orange style yeah it's a lot of cool elements it's just like tonally there's just something missing well like a again laugh track or something i don't know man like there's just there are yeah. times when it when it really swings for the fences with all the slide whistles yeah, and yeah. it's like way over the top and then yeah. other times where it's like Again, feels like something like a modern TV comedy where it's very almost too subtle mm-hmm. and too dry. And I feel like this comes down to the fact that he wasn't working with a top shelf director. He was where I don't even know who this guy was. Edward Klein. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he did other big things at the time, but this this isn't some sort of legendary comedy director. He's just probably like a you know, Hollywood journeyman. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I feel like maybe he wasn't as well served as he could have been. Hmm. Um, looking at it now, that's how I feel, is that the the overall production is like perfectly serviceable mm-hmm. without being anything special. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas the comedies that we still talk of today, like if you talk about The General or Modern Times or Safety Last or whatever, uh, these are all things where the the stars and the producers were pushing things further than they needed to go. Hmm. Whereas this is very clearly like, okay, here's the gag. Yeah, yeah. Here's rear projection. Like Joey was saying, it's the same seven seconds of rear projection over and over and over and over again. But I don't think it's supposed to be a gag. I think it's just a cheap comedy. Yep, exactly. It's the keystone uh, continuous background. 
But this was, I was reading that, uh, so he had a couple of box office hits before this, and this was the movie where he had complete creative control. Yeah, gotcha. he wrote this one. Yeah. I mean, obviously as that Mahatma so, Kane Jeeves. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is, I think, as close as we got to seeing his vision of mm. comedy. Right on. So if you see his other stuff, like It's a Gift or My Sweet Chickadee or that kind of stuff, it's funny, but I feel like it's more dated. Mm. It's closer to like Al Jolson oh, gotcha. than Charlie Chaplin. There were a few cringeworthy worthy moments here. Well, I don't mean racist. <laughs> I mean just like really dated. Right. On. Although there were, I was watching it, and me, this is an awful thought, but there were times when I was like, wow, that wasn't as racist as it could have been. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, there are racist moments in the movie that mm-hmm. are unfortunate. I, I think yeah, I, I was feeling the same way. I was expecting more. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like uh, the black guy came on into the screen. I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be awful. I'm gonna yeah, but then the to- joke's not really on him. Like, he's doing the minstrel yeah, yeah. thing, which is, of course, not good. But, like, the joke is that he's, like, scared of this mm-hmm. goofy white guy because he's got a silly hat on because he has hay fever. So it's not that the yeah, black guy is like was, cra- I know I, it was know. pretty bad. It, the introduction is not good. It was like saying he was he was scared of like of like a disease because he's like primitive and doesn't understand. Like it was weird. There's, it there's was really it was no just good interpretation. Yeah. Of it. Well, even the the his entrance, W. C. Fields' reaction mm-hmm. that is probably the biggest reaction W. C. Fields has in the movie is his reaction to a black gentleman behind him. Like it is he's spooked. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> he is extremely frightened. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so oh, if you were to uh, cast it today, who do you think? Uh, I don't know. How do you cast W.C. Fields? Uh, um, are we thinking of an old guy who could do this? The Big Lebowski. Um, he has a name. I don't know it. Jeff Bridges? No, uh, the Big Lebowski. Oh, Bo Bridges. The, oh, the older guy. Yeah, yeah. The the actual Big Lebowski. That's no. good. Jeff Lebowski is the little Lebowski. I don't know who could do this. Yeah. Um, maybe a Stephen Root. Yes, um, that's a good Stephen call. Root, definitely. That's a good call. Stephen Root uh, can play hateful. Yeah, and hateful drunk. and bumbling. That yeah, it's it's almost Milton, but it's a little bit more oblivious. You know that it that does seem very. Uh, Pre-root. Mm. Very, uh, the roots of Stephen the Root. The roots root. Yeah, is W.C. Fields. That does, yeah. That tracks. It's like if Chris Farley lived to the age of 65. Macho, mm. awesome wrestling and donkey had, like, man. like five divorces and lost all of his money. And like, <laughs> yeah, it, there's, you know, it's, it's that extra crusty curmudgeon that like is yeah. a very specific thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought about the Chris Farley thing, but he was so joyful and yeah, childlike. Exactly. Yep. And W.C. Fields is the opposite. Yep. He's cynical mm-hmm. and hollowed out <laughs> and <Yeah>. hopeless. <laughs> but either one, anytime there is an elevated chair, you know they're falling. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, I think I think another just little microcosm of his worldview is the very end of the movie when he's become a millionaire mm-hmm. and everyone's kissing his butt and he... You know, walks out of the dining room to the bartender, and he puts on the safari hat. Oh. And he's like, "Hey, pretty cool." And his butlers are like, "No, sir, that's not correct." <laughs> and he's like, "Okay." Why is the safari hat sitting there on the table? Why not? Because it's cool. Come yeah, why on. not? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. To Fez, Fez is cool. I need, I need some realism. That's not in my Fez. It's a Doctor Who joke. Keep up, get, your nerd. I don't get these references. Oh. All right. Um, uh, any, Snoopy. Doctor Who fans, who, log off. Who will be cast for Snoopy? Yeah. 
Who's Snoop Dogg? <sighs> That's a good one. I should have been thinking about these during the movie. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Ray Fiennes <laughs> is Snoopy. Yeah. He's British. <laughs> Maybe like a Colin Hanks. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got to be that like, yeah, that's that. Like, oh, um, uh, uh, Stephen some... Tobolowski. Okay. Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Joey Pants is too cool. No, Joey mm-hmm. Pants would be great. I'm here to examine your books. <laughs> <laughs> what okay. a, what knock, a, knock. Do, uh, I would like to propose uh, Tom Arnold as Ugg. Tom Arnold as Ugg. He's still a little old uh, mm. to marry his Obviously, Field's daughter in this day and age. <laughs> He's too short. Oh, too short. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That could be anyone. That could be like a Ryan Reynolds or something. Uh, no, it's got to be someone more like. What's his name? Dumpy. Jurassic World. Chris. Chris Pratt. Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. He could yeah. do it if he gets a little he's fatter tall. in his fat. Yeah, he should go back to being fat for this role. Yeah, he's oh, funnier. did you guys see? See the kid. Uh, Chris Pratt has a horrible fake beard in it, but like he plays kind of a villain or actually he does play a villain. You're talking about the Western movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't yeah. see it. Uh, right on. It's not a great movie, but it's uh, Vincent, and, Vincent D'Onofrio directing. Um, but yeah, uh, Chris Pratt is like, you know, kind of back to a bigger, fatter Chris Pratt. Bring back fat more Chris Pratt. Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely a bigger fan of the big Chris Pratt. I'm oh, a bigger no. fan of bigger <sighs> men than Ooh. me. You're gonna make a big swing here. Uh, I'm like big it. enough yeah. to love fat men. That's why you're here. Let's loop that over and over. <laughs> okay. Uh, so sound. I'm strong enough to love weak men. Mm. But are you strong enough to be my girl? Are you, maybe are it's you, Maybelline. Are you loud enough to love quiet men? Nope. Oh. You were begging for that one, Joey. I know. I was just reaching. I need a hero. Are you insensitive enough to love sensitive men? Okay. Jesus I'm going to like? move on. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, the score, Charles Previn. Mm. What did you guys think of the score, actually? Let me just ask I mean, you first. I couldn't there was tell a you score? there was music. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty subtle, uh, but it was, there was some Too really- Too subtle. There except, was some, yeah, except for the slide there, whistles. There were some nice moments. That's not part of the score. But there score. was- there were some nice moments, actually. Um, the Egyptian music when Suze was being carried like a pharaoh on set. <laughs> yes, okay, cute. I did notice that. So that's okay, but you were aff- you would have been offended by the Indian music? Yes. That's a fair point. Well, come on. There's no ancient Egyptians alive anymore. No, they're would modern you? Egyptians. Yeah, yeah they, there's no, they're not offended <laughs> by that, are they? There's no would original should... Americans alive anymore. What? It, they, they're still ancestors of both of those people alive. Like, yeah. still the now, fucking heritage. Now, now, let me ask you a question. Same. If someone one is two thousand years and one is two hundred years, but, okay. but yeah. in a movie, if someone uh, started eating matzo ball soup and they started playing <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof music, you would find this offensive or not? It depends. Actually, two thousand years ago, Joey. It does depend. There it, aren't any ancient Jews anymore. <laughs> that's a different story. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I don't think the ancient Egyptians consider... Do they consider themselves the same? I guess they do. I the same know. as what? Do the current pharaohs. Egyptians consider themselves the same as the are ancient... They, do they have that same... If, like, if you make a pharaoh joke, You're are saying, they offended? Do you think the Egyptians associate themselves with the pharaohs? No, that's not... I didn't mean they associate. I mean, like, I don't think Do you think associate yourself with Abraham? Me? No. You, not at all? No. I don't believe you. He's a, he's a non-believer. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to be... 
You don't think he was a historical figure? Let's not get into this. <laughs> We're talking show. about sound, okay? Can you please shut Abraham up? Abraham invented rock. All right. Jesus. Can, this is where I talk. I don't know if you know. You never, I know you've never listened to an episode, but this yeah. is where you be quiet and I talk about the sound. Abraham went out into the field and said, let there be rock. Okay. Anyways. And Isaac said, let the there other, be jazz. The, shh, Eric. Eric, you're not going to be invited back. Great. <laughs> That's what he's going for. <laughs> I know he doesn't give a shit. Uh, so there was great music during the bank robbery scene. There was two of them. And there were there was same, just great stuff. There was some great strings. <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> Eric. I'm sorry. It's funny. <laughs> I'm supposed to talk about this. How am I supposed to do it when you're just making fun of me the whole time? I'm not making point. fun of you. I'm just enjoying your commentary. Anywho. Uh, I liked the music when anyone comes home to the henpecked or the henpecking wife and mother-in-law. There was some nice, cute trumpets. Wait, what was the music? It was trumpets and some trombones. It was some nice music. I don't know. It was just very homely. Okay, all right. I don't know homely? much. Homely? I don't know. Yeah, homely. Like, I don't think you're using that word right. Well, that's. You, you mean can, like homey? I guess. Homely. Home is, is, home is, is like where the heart is. Yeah. Uh, you can use it both ways, I, <laughs> I believe. I don't think so. No, homely means. Uh, I think you mean homey. Yeah. Like homie to clown. Okay, you can absolutely use it both ways. <laughs> Number one, unattractive in appearance. Number two, simple but cozy and comfortable, as yeah, in one's completely home. opposite. Of- <laughs> yeah. Okay, can you please? All right, can you please stop just interrupting me? Up landmines. And- They're f- oh, you are the worst, guys. Um, any other what good good points? Let's see. Uh, I loved the moment where he pulled out his gun and when he was looking in the mirror when he first the taxi uh, driver moment. Yes, when he first <laughs> when he first pull when he first put on his uniform, mm-hmm. and there was a great quick like ostinato string pull up, like a, a quick whenever he pulled out his gun. That was just a nice rhythmic moment. There wasn't a ton of them, but I like that. Um, I like that he establishes this whole routine with the guy about like him wearing a disguise. He's like, I've got all yeah. these disguises at home. You won't recognize me. <laughs> and there's one random scene in the middle where he's got a fake mustache on. Yep, and otherwise this. Subplot is never alluded that to. That was again. weird. I in would... the camp, the, you don't see the fake mustache until he like adjusts <laughs> it at the end. So it just kind of looks like he's wearing like a stage microphone or something strapped to the side of his right. face, and then he like readjusts. I think that's what we're both. I think we're both making the same point. That it feels like the comedy. Sometimes the comedy feels unfocused, and you're not sure if it's by design yeah. or incompetence. Yep. Yeah. Um. So the comedy that is obviously by design was used with the Foley and the slide whistles and the slap effects I love and, slide and whistles. the uh, springs. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought it was really yeah. stupid. I didn't like what, it at all. You think a slide whistle is stupid? No, I just think it was completely useless in this movie. It should not have been in this movie. I think whenever someone is jumping, doing a swan dive out of a moving car <laughs> against really poor yeah. rear projection. That is when you do a slide yeah, whistle. Yeah, I think that is the time and place. That's what it was invented for. Yeah, I get it. I just... Uh, Nah, not into him. <laughs> Stupid, lame. I, I, you know, I just—it's well, it's very vaudevillian. It's yes, uh, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's just that yeah, that big, broad it. physical comedy with the big, broad sound effects that are associated with it. Well, I would imagine this probably was dated even 1943 or whenever this came out. Like that oh. style of comedy oh, yeah, yeah. was already, oh, already like old fashioned. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. The, the I mean, entire... compared to like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby or something, this must have felt like your granddad's humor. Is Bob, 
When is they Bob were doing Hope stuff in the forties? Were they? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It just seemed to me that, that when they added those first funny sound effects, slide whistles, it was like it wasn't quite in the beginning of the movies. It was like twenty minutes or thirty minutes <laughs> yeah, into the movie. Definitely. So the whole movie, you're not thinking. You're just thinking, oh, okay, it's a normal movie. Yeah. Normal. And all of a sudden, slide whistle and, and spring. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, I, I'll go with it, I guess. And then there was a lot more, but it was just a little shocking at first, a little weird. Yeah, punch up the scene. Um. Yeah, that, I actors. like the random gag when they're driving during that extended uh, car chase at the end, mm-hmm. which had very strong like uh, Bonnie and Clyde like hillbilly v- vibes mm-hmm. to me. Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. Um, but there's a gag when they're driving around and there's like just a random woman yeah. walking down the street and he's like, "Hello, honey." That, to me, that I he says to, to me that felt like more of an accident when they were shooting the background plates. So like you know they when they shoot the background plates they just like but they're like it. in the middle of nowhere right right so they just strapped a car to the, or a camera to a car and just drove oh, and there was joke. just happened to be a woman in the middle of the street. I don't that didn't look or feel like it was part of Hollywood making it all. That felt like a cameraman was about to actually run someone over and they just put it in the well, movie. I think what's funny to me about his reaction is that, again, he seems genuinely uninterested in sex mm-hmm. or oh, yeah, women. Yeah. So he treats her like she's just another local well, attraction. No, no, I have to disagree because there's that moment when he is in the bank manager's office and the uh, the secretary comes in and he is very interested in, in young ladies at that moment. Yeah. He's playing with her hair and checking out her legs and like completely distracted by her every time she but moves. It's, it's like the way that a dog is distracted oh, by yeah, a person. It's, it's a creepy old uncle obsession, but it is definitely a, a of a sexual nature. Well, maybe. I guess it doesn't seem very uh, strong. Well, he I mean, also he makes the comment. Yeah, the eighteen-year-old. Yeah, he makes the comment later. I, I love children, especially the female ones, eighteen to twenty-four. But that's funny because it seemed to me seems so. I'm not saying that he's a good person. He just seems asexual. Yeah. So whenever he's talking about that, it's funny because it seems like you're saying this, but nothing you do seems. To reflect this interest. Yeah, no, no other... There's yeah. no leering or any... There's, well, I mean, there's other not than even that a one, Well, other than that one scene, which is why it's so weirdly out of... Right. I don't know, out of character, I guess. But again, you have a lot more um, perspective on the W.C. Fields character as a whole. So is that kind of like a running thing throughout his movies? Not or, really. Honestly. Yeah, I feel like he might be... That's what I was thinking, a continuation of the other characters from his film. It sort of just seemed like his, his like, whole persona is always like... Uh, the henpecked husband, like his wife's annoying him and he wants to get away, but it's never, at least from the films I've seen, it's he's never fleeing to another woman or he's is, never like trying is to it like the Stooges or wife. Chapman where he's essentially the same character in every movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a persona. Okay. But like Charlie Chaplin is a very romantic character and he always has mm-hmm. like a love interest. And yeah, Buster yeah. Keaton often has a love interest that he's like, you know, physically fighting for, sure. trying to rescue. Whereas W.C. Fields is just trying to get away from his wife. Mm. Again, he's not trying to get towards anything. Yeah, yeah. It's all negative it's energy. Yeah, well, he's see. trying to get towards the bar. Trying to yeah. get away from responsibility, away from his family, away from his wife towards oblivion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a, again, it, like it, it all sounds great on paper, but just watching it, it oh, didn't sure. add up. No, no I, that, that's a fair assessment. I think it's quite funny, but uh, aesthetically it's, it's far short of, again, these other people in the pantheon. Gentlemen, would you, uh, well, yeah, uh, guess the group. 
gross. Oh God! You guys, you guys ready? You guys ready? What uh, year did this come out? Was it forty-one? Forty? Uh, yeah, no, that that's not how this game is played. But uh, oh, yeah, I'm just this curious. Is, it, it was nineteen forty, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah nineteen forty. Yeah, nineteen forty. The Great War. Yeah. So a uh, uh, little game we've uh, instituted well, on the World War One Great War. Oh, the Great War Part Two. Yeah, there you go. The sequel. A uh, little game we've instituted. Guess the gross. Uh, I am going to give you a few movies uh, in a related category, uh, much more modern movies, because that's easier to track. And you gentlemen are going to guess the gross value of their box office receipts. Okay. So first off, um, let's see. All you need. Whoa, whoa where'd it go? God damn it. Fuck everything. Uh, <laughs> Stand by. Technical yeah, difficulties. Exactly. All you need is one killer track. It is 2017 Edgar Wright directed Baby Driver. Oh, I forgot we are doing movies that involve bank robberies. <laughs> Wait, what, what do you mean all you need is one killer track? What are you talking about? Oh, I, I, that is, is the, the log line. Trace? Okay. Oh. The it's log, not a log line, is it? Well, it's it's basically the what is uh, listed as a, you know, uh, the the one sentence description off of uh, Letterboxd. All right. Mm. I would call it. So a, we're guessing the box office gross for Baby Driver? Baby Driver, yeah. Two, 2017's Baby Worldwide Driver. Worldwide or domestic? Uh, domestic gross. $61 million. Eric says $61 million. I'm going to say 85 Joseph Bonnier says $85 million. And what does the man looking at the computer say? The round goes to Mr. Joseph Bonnier with a grand total of $107.8 million. Domestic? Domestic gross. Yeah, that seems Baby high. Driver, yeah. Uh, so, uh, on to number two. We have They Only Live to Get Radical. 1991, Catherine Bigelow directed Point Break. Point Break. Obviously. How much did it make, gentlemen? Obviously. $25 million. <laughs> $25 million, says Eric the Wheelman Wheeler. 42. 42. Going with the ultimate answer, life, universe, and everything. Joseph Bonnier, you Damn. are extremely close at $43.2 million. Dollars. Shit, he's good at this. <laughs> so, uh, moving on. The most bizarre bank siege ever. 1975, directed by Sidney Lumet. Dog Day Afternoon. $300 million. $300 million. <laughs> All the money in the world. Uh, <laughs> biggest box office hit ever. Joseph Bonnier. Uh, uh, $22. $22 million. Joseph Bonnier takes it again. The, the total box office gross is listed as $50 million. Oh. Five, five zero? Five zero. Gosh, that seems high. That does seem high for yeah. that kind of movie. Um, that is the only one that is listed as a completely round number, fifty million. Everything Suspicious. else is like, yeah, yeah, that is a little bit off. What but, are you, what what website are you on? Uh, I'm getting that off of uh, uh, Box Office Mojo, AmericanPatriot.net. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Next up, a Los Angeles crime saga directed by Michael Mann, 1995. <laughs> Uh, Eric, would, uh, maybe I should go first since Eric's going sure. first every time. Uh, I will guess uh, 75. $75 million. I will guess $76 million. $76 million. Dollars, trying to fucking price his right his way out. And Mr. Joseph Bonnier <laughs> takes it again at a grand total of $67.4 right. million. Dollars. Hold on. Can I tell you my favorite line from Heat? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I had to get it on. <laughs> 
<laughs> Whatever that psycho is talking about, why he like killed some random person. I don't even remember. Uh, I've only seen Heath. It's like, like oh, one, you so like you almost blew the robbery. Why'd you do it? He went, come on, man. I had to get it on. <laughs> That's weird. Are we done? That's one, it? One last movie. Okay. Fuck, am I going to get any of this? Maybe. They have a plan, but not a clue. Uh, 2000, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Oh, brother, where art thou? Mm, brother, right there. Okay. Um, I'm going to say 50, 58. 58. 57. $57 million. <laughs> I hate you. Eric, the wheelman wheeler squeaks in one last little victory there. The grand total was $45.5 million. Always be cynical, kids. <laughs> It pays. Yay. That was guess the gross. Yeah. Wait, what was Yay. the gross of the bank dick? For what? What was the gross of the bank dick? Oh, I didn't even look that up. Because like they don't, well, they don't like, you know, from the, the, the numbers they don't have really. numbers. Well, yeah, but they're all stupid. Yeah, and probably like, is stupid. I don't see it on Wikipedia <laughs> here. Yeah. You can look it up there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So what do we got next? Oh, you got to oh, talk to. I want too. these numbers. All right, then fucking look it up. I'll look it up. All right. You talk, Sean. Look it up. Somehow I got fucking two segments in a row. That's dumb. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, I, I did it to myself. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the visuals of this movie, which, uh, you know, shouldn't take too long because it's a basic ass bitch of a movie. Um, we, we got Turn a wide, the camera on, <laughs> exactly. point at the actors. We get a wide shot of an actor and then we got a straight on close up of everyone. And then, or not even no. everyone, like, um, the, you, maybe one or two main characters at in most, the scene. There's yeah. a medium close up. Well, but it's like directly on in like a, yeah, it was, you know, one of those obvious that no other actor is in the room oh, and we're sure. just going to do your shot. Um, yeah, there is uh continuity is kind of like, you know, uh, an afterthought for most things. Yeah, and, uh, uh, the line is kind of like, mm, maybe we'll care and maybe we won't. Um, I don't think anyone's confused about the G like geography no. of the bank dick. Like it, he's in a dick. He's in a dick. He's in a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious. So he's in a bank, like, the tellers on one side, the yeah. customers on another. It's yeah. Not too complicated. He's it's, in the office. He's outside of the office. It's not, but it just bumps me. I don't know. Maybe it's just too much film school, but the line always bumps me. Um, doesn't bump you. You're staring. It's not at me like real. A, the line. I mean, the movie. Yeah, it's an imaginary. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, they're not playing really? real characters. <laughs> this is in Hotel Mumbai. Wow. Um, Those are actors. Those aren't the real people from the event. Oh, yeah. That's why you could heartlessly enjoy it and laugh. I'm not. I didn't pay money to see <laughs> Hotel Mumbai. I didn't necessarily. Pay you money laughed. To see it. There's some. There's some obvious comedy in that movie. Like it is. Here's a. Here's my review of Sean's review of Hotel Mumbai. <laughs> Folks, sometimes you gotta laugh. <laughs> Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, it felt bad. Army about Hammer it, is a terrorist. Mm, uh, I, no spoilers. Um, but yeah, they uh, getting back to the camera. Um, not really much else to talk about. Um, you know, it's 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 as basic a shot as you can put together, really. 
It's well, not what, fucking okay. Fritz Long. Let's yeah. put it that way. I loved some of the stunts, at least. Let's talk about that. Yeah, those, yeah. I mean, those are some great shots. I thought the just simply doing car stunts with those old ass <laughs> cars and those shitty tires. And as old and fat as fucking W.C. Fields is, like some of those falls that he took out of chairs and shit, like that is something I would certainly never let my students do. But it is is certainly not the level of Buster Keaton or anyone else that was really working at that time. Like even the the uh, uh, um, uh, three uh, three stooges, you know, they took their lumps as much as anyone. Like, I don't know. Well, he's funny because unlike Buster Keaton or Chaplin or mm-hmm. Harold Lloyd, he does not seem athletic at all. Yeah. And seems like it probably hurts him every time he falls down. Yeah. yeah. Like Buster Keaton could fall out of a five-story window and be okay. Or at least you think he's okay. Well, he could survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it looks like W.C. Fields could break his neck walking up the stairs. Yeah. And <laughs> interestingly enough, there is that weird little stair scene where he goes up the stairs and misses the that's stairs. A, that's an ongoing gag where oh. he, like, he misaligns. Misses doors. Yeah. And mis- yeah. I don't know if that's supposed to be an a alcoholic de- joke. Or-, mm, or just a bad depth perception. Yeah. That's, that's where I got a lot of that Mr. Magoo feel of like just the kind well, I, of- I always read this as just being the long-term effects of alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. His brain is damaged. And his nose. Yeah. Just his body. He's destroyed the body that God gave him. (laughs) True. Yeah. Um, So I have a question. You guys mentioned uh, over cranking during the Uh uh, stunt scenes and the stunt driving. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly just go over what's over cranking, under cranking? (sighs) Uh, It's when you crank over. Instead of under. Oh, right. Well, that would be <laughs> under cranking, right? I thought this what you guys said over. I wasn't did I sure. Say over? No, Someone it, did. it would be over cranking. No, over cranking is slow motion. You're oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Under cranking yeah, yeah. is fast motion. Right on. So yeah, it's basically when you put the film in the camera, you used to actually operate it with a lever. So you would turn that lever and push the film through the camera. Hopefully you were pushing it through at 16 or 24 frames, whatever you were trying to accomplish, but you could go faster or slower and the projector would still project at the same time. So if you under crank and you are shooting at, let's say, 10 frames a second, your projector still plays it back at 24 frames a second arbitrarily at this point, but it is going to play action back faster. So everything that took one second to film is going to play back in half a second or a quarter of a second. Uh, Overcranking would be the opposite. So every second of film would take two seconds to play back at 24 frames a second. So you have these cars whipping around the corner, mm-hmm. yeah. looking at they're going much, much faster than they actually are, but the effect is a little uh, thrown off by the fact that you see people moving around in the frame, moving yeah. in these very unnatural ways yeah. that give away the, the undercranking. Well, it, and it's... You can get away with undercranking or speed manipulation in machines a lot easier. Um, It is, you know, the organic movement of things definitely is a tell. But the way machines move is also a tell if you're really looking. So, like... Oh, sure. I mean, I think it's it's played for comedy. Well, yeah. And one thing that I would... it wasn't undercranked as much as it should have been. Those stunts coming around the corner were still fast and still mm-hmm. fucking dangerous. Oh my like, god! Like there were a lot of extras that almost died in this fucking movie. There was one stunt they did where they had two cars wrapping around a tree, mm-hmm. and they basically just just missed each other. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, wow, like you know, how many takes did that take? Maybe they fucked up one of those. It was mm-hmm. just so. And you know, these cars are open. You know, there's no you know roll cages. Yeah. yeah, everything's convertible. It, it, it just the, like again, the wheels are like paper. 
paper thin. It just seemed like they were doing a lot of off-road stunts, and I can't believe that no one was hurt during this movie. It seemed like there was some crazy I, shit going on. Do we know that? No, we don't know that. <laughs> no, we don't know that. Yeah, well, it, whenever I see stuff like this, it reminds me of the Jackie Chan quote about whenever he came to Hollywood mm. and like the difference in filmmaking between Hong Kong and Hollywood. Yeah. So he was a professional stuntman and had his own professional stunt team. And he talked about in the first years, like when he did a rush hour, like he was so bored. He'd never been so bored making a movie in his life mm. because they wouldn't let him do his stunts oh, yeah. because Once it's a Hollywood a star, movie. Yeah. So, you know, he talked about how the the Hollywood stunt guys would um, take measurements and they test everything. Mm-hmm. It was like it took hours and hours to do one stunt because mm-hmm. they had to test it over and over to make sure it was safe. He's like, in Hong Kong, we there'd be a, a stunt where someone's supposed to jump off the roof and land on another building. And the stunt guy would just eyeball it and go, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And that's it. And they shoot it. Parkour. And if he, if he <laughs> missed, he went to the hospital. Totally. He's like, all my guys got hurt at some point, yeah. but we filmed really quickly. Yep. And people just said, I can do it or I can't do it. And there was no testing. There was no insurance. Yeah. Well, I, I've never shot over there, but from everything I understand, that is like the mentality of shooting movies in, in China is just keep running until your people either pass out or die around you. And, you know, you'll get well, people to I'm replace sure them. Well, I'm sure it's changed somewhat now. But yeah, I mean, 30 years ago, totally. it was, at least in Hong Kong, it was complete Wild West mm-hmm. of like, well, if someone dies, you'll have to answer to the judge, but otherwise, do whatever. Yeah, I, well, I've been told that actors are paid by the take. So uh, in, in China, you're hired for, you know, 100 takes. Uh-huh. And so they keep track of, you know, today I'm doing 100 takes. And mm. once I get to my 100th take, it's either more money or I leave. Do you guys ever see that movie where Michelle Yao lands a motorcycle on a train? I don't think so. Which called Super that? Cop. Oh yeah, I have seen that. <laughs> Police Story Three, aka mm. Super Cop. That's pretty Super cool. Right, I'm thinking about that scene a lot. Yeah, sounds like a decent stunt. Is Michelle yeah the one from uh, Crouching Tiger as well? Yes, I love that uh, fight she has with. That's a great movie. That's, that's a normie classic, but still a great movie. I know it's a normie classic. I still enjoy it. Joy. Yeah. What happened in the Oscars? All right, let's talk about it. 1940. Best Picture. Bank we, Dick. We we do need songs. Okay. It's called Guess the Oscar Picks for now. Great. Okay, great. (laughs) All right. So the 13th Academy Awards honored the American Film Achievements in 1940. Mm. It was at the Biltmore Bowl at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California. They should have built more. Hosted by who? Bob Hope. Exactly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> of course it was. Was it Himmler? Goebbels. Oh, in 1940? Yeah. No. Did, oh. he, did he win Best Actor? Best Propaganda. <laughs> this is before they were bad. That's uh, Goebbels, but okay. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh, so, Best Actress. Let's mm-hmm. start with the uh, nominees. Martha Scott from Our Town. Catherine Hepburn, The Philadelphia Story. Joan Fontaine, Rebecca. Betty Davis, The Letter. Ginger Rogers, Kitty Foyle. Kitty Foyle? Rebecca. Oh, I'm supposed to guess? Yeah. yeah. The Letter. Or Betty Davis. So, Betty Davis, you say Joan Fontaine? Whoever was The Rebecca. answer is Ginger Rogers for Kitty Foyle. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck Kitty Foyle is. Man, that's the Oscars in a nutshell right there. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's yeah. weird. Okay. History was not too long. All right, best actor. Charlie Chaplin, The Great Dictator, Henry Fonda, Grapes of Wrath, Raymond Massey, Abe Lincoln in Illinois, Laurence Olivier, Rebecca, James Stewart, The Philadelphia Story. 
Grapes of Wrath. What's the third one? Uh, Henry Fonda, Grapes of Wrath. No, no, okay. After that, Lawrence Olivier, Rebecca, Raymond Massey, Abe Lincoln. Yeah, Raymond, because I've never heard of this guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good betting system for this. No, it's actually Jimmy Stewart, the Philadelphia Stewart. What? All right. Was that the one where Tom Tom Hanks has AIDS? Let's ignore that one. Yeah, okay. Is that the one where Tom Cruise has AIDS? Sean Nasty. (laughs) Put that on his fucking tombstone. (laughs) Okay. Best director. Uh, William Wyler, The Letter, George Cukor, The Philadelphia Story, Hitchcock, Rebecca, John Ford, Grapes of Wrath, Sam Wood, Kitty Foyle. If it's Sam Wood, I'm going to lose my mind. Going Hitchcock. I'm going with uh, John Ford. John Ford is correct. Mm. Hitchcock's never won. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you dumbass. Sorry. (laughs) That wasn't necessary. He's a very, very. I feel like that's one of the first things that like (laughs) young film posers learn. Hitchcock never won a directing Oscar. Kubrick never won a directing Oscar. You need to know this shit. I hate Hitchcock. That's fine. All right. Outstanding production, otherwise known as Best Picture. Mm. The Great Dictator, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, I'm just going to say the names. The Great Dictator, The Grapes of Wrath, Foreign Correspondent, All This and Heaven Too, <laughs> Rebecca, <laughs> The Letter, The Long Voyage Home, Our Town, The Philadelphia Story. All this and a bag of chips. <laughs> Grapes of Wrath. The answer is Rebecca. Really? So he actually did kind of win. Mm. He didn't win Best Director, though. Rebecca, that is a pretty good movie. I've never seen Rebecca. Yeah, I don't. Good. It's Hitchcock's first American project. You guys don't appreciate romantic uh, psychodramas. That's fair. Yeah. 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 You should. Yeah. Romance of the mind. One thing we didn't quickly talk about uh, about the uh, sound is the dialogue itself. <laughs> what do little, you mean? A little mumbly. So you definitely a little mumbly. A lot of shots where the actors are putting stuff in front of their faces. Mm. A lot of time was in their eating. I didn't understand. Well, there's a lot be the origins of mumblecore. There's a lot of business. And just a lot of quick dialogue, lines that are very idiomatic. Everything that are tough is to understand. throwaway. Like, yeah. uh, there is yeah. like no real line of substance. Again, this importance. is why to like, me it feels very contemporary. Hmm. It feels like fucking Marlon Brando and on, on the waterfront, everyone's just like mumbling like James Dean or something into their- Is that contemporary? Yeah. I mean, in terms on of the acting, water- that's considered <laughs> the waterfront, to be con- James Dean. contemporary. Well, more so than this, acting. Yeah, more so than the stage acting and the like projecting. To like, the obviously the that, that looks dated now, but I feel like that's much more contemporary than like acting from the 1930s. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. That yeah. makes sense. Um, Merry Christmas, movie house. Yeah. It's, it's just frustrating because I do want to know what the dialogue is. I mean, I know half the comedy is just in his cadence, but- mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say a lot of it is just the mumbling that's funny. Nowadays, if you have one line of dialogue that the audience can't hear, it's a fucking uproar. Mm. The the craziness over Interstellar was insane because there was like three lines Matthew McConaughey <sighs> said that were, you know, overwhelmed oh, by yeah, the sound effects. Oh yeah, that's the fucking secret. That's going to unlock the whole movie for you. The one line you couldn't hear when a rocket ship was taken off. That's the secret, guys. They're trying to keep it from you. Yeah. It's a conspiracy. The government's trying to keep you dumb. You would understand Interstellar and you'd be happy and your wife would love you more if you knew what Matthew McConaughey was saying when the rocket took off. But yeah, they, they got Kubrick <laughs> off stronger, the island to go shoot that movie. You'd be healthier. You would achieve all your goals if you knew what Anne Hathaway was saying on the phone <laughs> without the static. If only you knew that, then, then everything would make sense. I think your anxiety clear. would go away. Your depression would be lifted. 
if you knew what Jessica Chastain was saying while she was eating potatoes, everything would be good. Eating potatoes? I no, don't know. She was. She. I mean, there, there's a... No, it's corn. No. Isn't that a thing where they're eating... Yeah, it was Marky Mark that was eating the potatoes. They're eating a, a dinner and everything's made out of corn because that's mm. like the only crop left on the planet. That's funny. Marky Mark. Well, whatever. What was Mark the Mars Matt Damon? Same difference. Damon. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. Okay, that's fair. They are all the same. <laughs> totally true. All right. Um, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Or are we just... Uh, yeah. What do you, uh, what'd you think? All right. Well, um, we you asking this question like five times. So, Bank Dick, what'd you think? What'd you think? Well, we do first impressions and then we rate it at the end. Yeah. That's what he's trying to get to. Yeah, I, I we do a final rating appropriately. What's your rating? Okay, I'm going to rate this a six and a half out of ten. It's enjoyable and two popcorns. It's cute. It's funny. You know, if you don't got anything else to do, it's it's a cute little, you know, it's only like 65 minutes or whatever. So it's, it's, an, it's like a three reel, a, a scant movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to see this before you die. That's for sure. But I don't, I don't really get the WC field stuff. I, I mean, I think three stooges is funny sometimes. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little over the slapsticky stuff. Sorry. Mm. But uh, it, yeah, it's cute. Whatever. You guys don't have enough hate in your heart. <laughs> You're talking to Sean Fall? Yeah, you think he does. It's all a pose. <sighs> mm, yeah. I'm going to go two well, out of five he, stars. He wants a feel good comedy. I do, actually. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> two out of five, Sean? Two out of five stars. Um, you know, it's it's not unwatchable, but it's not something anyone should have to watch. Um, I understand, like. <laughs> you guys are talking like it's uh, the periodic table or something. <laughs> Kind well, of. you don't need to memorize it. <laughs> Honestly, this movie's boring until like the last half. I'm gonna be. It doesn't get pick, picked up. It's stupid. You guys need to learn to hate people more. I, I, there's just it. It rides this weird line of like not hateful enough and too hateful, and like it's it's just in this weird place where like like I said, on paper everything adds up, and I should love this, but. Just the execution of it all coming together, it just doesn't work for me. Like, I don't care about him. I don't care about anything he does. I like to see him fall. I like to see him fail. But that's, you know, kind of the extent of it. Uh, The ending is obtuse and weird and, like, everything is okay because he has money, but he's still a drunkard, but everyone loves him now. Um, Yeah, two out of five stars. I give it four Susannas. Hmm. Susannas? I give it four Susannas. And three uh, Hooper Nichols. Yeah, this is the Tim Snow uh, school of rating. What does that mean, Eric? Um, not for you to know. It's poetry, man. Well, we would like to know. It's poetry. No, I've given you my rating. Okay, that's You fair. can contextualize it however you wish. Why I give it seven honkers. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I think we're done. What are we doing next week? Well, we're going to be watching Stagecoach unless we have... Uh, <laughs> unless there's another guest on Another guest. Mm-hmm. I'm excited because I Can like- you explain to me your arbitrary uh, time restrictions? Because let me walk you through this, Sean. So, the reason that Joey and I went to see the Cowboys mm-hmm. at the New Beverly Cinema. Yeah. So, I wanted to see this. They're mm-hmm. having a Bruce Dern film festival. Mm-hmm. So, you can go get your, your Dern needs. Get your Dern on. Get your Dern on. Uh, on on uh, Beverly Boulevard. So, Joey was like, hey, Are come you on. for that plug? Yeah. So Joey said, hey, you want to come on the, the movie podcast? And I was like, nope. And he said, well, okay. 
And I said, how about this, Joey? How about you come watch this John Wayne movie with me that no one else wants to see? Mm. And then I'll go on the podcast. He was like, okay. I was like, great. And then he said, so what movie do you want to talk about? I was like, well, the Cowboys, like the movie we're going to see. And then you can make Sean watch it separately and then we'll talk about it. And he's like, oh, no, we can't do that. Like, why? He's like, well, because we watched the movie at Sean's house. I was like, we watched it the day before. Like, it'll be fresh. It's fine. He's like, no, well, it's got to be before 1960. All right. When was the Cowboys? 1972. It's way too modern. I was like, all right, well, like, that's that's arbitrary, but fine. Like, the first half of cinema's existence. Basically. I can live with that. And then... I said, okay, what's some dumb piece of shit I can make them watch? <laughs> I said, all right, uh, Rin Tin Tin, Clash of the Wolves. Here mm. we go. This is uh, something that has not endured at all. Mm. I feel like anyone under the age of 25 has never heard of Rin Tin Tin. Mm. This is just a cultural relic. Yeah, yeah. So this will be great. Um, and they said, no, it's silent. I said, eh, wait a minute, pump the brakes. <laughs> Before 1960, but not silent film. So- the richest era of pre 1960s filmmaking is just excised. So do, no, to it's be, not the to, richest well, era. That's are ridiculous. you kidding? It's to ridiculous. be clear, this is not a podcast rule. This was Joey the Booker arbitrarily making. Oh, a arbitrary statement. is the key <laughs> no, word here. Here's what I said. The, the arbitrary nature is because half of the things he talks about on this show are sound. So if there is not has sound he, in the movie, has he not <laughs> eyes to see with? Listen, I would accept a silent film if there was music because at least we could analyze the music and the way our ears respond. Why don't you analyze Just let the me finish movie. a sentence, please. Okay? The movie. I will analyze no, the movie. No, I will but not let you finish the sentence. The point of this podcast was to analyze the sound and the visuals of the film and break it down. It's tough to analyze a silent film sound when there's no sound. You want to hear my Mitt I Romney? A pussy. You want to hear my Mitt Romney impression? Sir, sir. Good day. That's when you know, Trump's like, I'm going to murder Romney's family and I'm going to spread gasoline on the corpses. So, sir, sir. I I say, sir. Okay. Not so, in the White House. Actually, on a, on a serious note, I would totally watch Rin Tin Tin. I just didn't want it to be so uh, th- this episode. I thought it would be better if we kind of did that later on, a silent film. I don't think we, we don't do that right we're yet. We're not ready for that yet. I don't think so. Like Derek said, we're not ready for color yet. There was color in 1960. Yeah, I know. And he, he there's color in 1930. I picked Robin Hood. Yeah, we picked. Yeah, it. yeah, we did do color, but that it, was a standing order. <laughs> was that a standing order for a, for a two episodes? Yeah, I don't think it was standing. Order. Either way, first of all, this is my podcast. I started it. <laughs> I make the orders. Yeah, go ahead and join us on all the shows on the podcast network. We got the going down on South Park, Paula Tinkering, thanks for calling, literally literary, and uh, the show here, the Celluloid Breakdown. Uh, you can check us out on Twitters. We are Celluloid Break at uh, Twitter, at the Celluloid Break, or at Joseph Bonnier, at J O E B O N I E R, at Eric the Wheeler, and uh, I am at text and a B and a four and a calling. Um, yeah. Next the way time. you said that was not good. And a B, and a four, and a five, and six. Going once, going twice, and that was all on the Twitter. I don't actually want them to find me. That's not part of the deal. Sean is Q. Sean is S H H H H H H.